Uh, Here we go. Take two. two. Take two. That was so hilarious. I was being so eloquent. (laughs) (laughs) Love it. Love it. Kimfer and I got temporarily cut off and we were just saying how it's been so long since we've seen each other because it's been like five hours. Yes, yes. <laughs> and, and I was explaining that I have so many questions to ask you, ranging from the colour of your hair through to Asian Pacific American Heritage Month. So please bear with me as I leap around from subject to subject like a demented squirrel. <laughs> Absolutely. That's, that's what a good conversation does, right? <laughs> Mine tend to. So Kim Kimfer Flannery Rye and uh, Kim prefers Kimfer is a diversity, equity, inclusion and culture consultant and a speaker and a brand strategist and creative, but we knew that going by her hair colours, and an advisor and an adjunct professor. So I'm going to start with a really easy one. What are you an adjunct professor for? Is that is that are you still doing that? Oh, this is hilarious. Okay, it sounds like maybe you're. So I'm just going to talk amongst myself. <laughs> Why your mic decides to do whatever it wants to do. So I'm looking at the most amazing photos of Kimfa. Uh, and I can't wait to find out why she calls herself Kimfa. Uh, normally, she has the most uh, think think mohawk, think updo, think short, spiky, think outrageous. Uh, but like, when I saw her this morning, her hair had grown so much, which I'm going to assume is COVID, and it was the most beautiful purple sliding into blue. This is a woman who's not afraid of colour. Uh, I'm going to send him for a message just to see if she's something, if things gone to, if it hasn't all gone to heck in a handbasket. Are you still there? This is why people keep telling me, there she is. This is why people keep telling me, edit your podcast. (laughs) (laughs) This is makes it way more fun, right? Because especially I am currently uh, have a puppy in here that I thought was going to be uh, with my husband, uh, but I forgot he's at a dentist appointment. So you may hear some background noise from my dog on top of all the other things going on. Well, how wonderful. You might hear my French bulldog snore in the background and the UPS driver is bound to knock on the door any minute now because they always pick, you know, the most inconvenient time. <laughs> yeah. but I, I, was, I was talking about you, which is probably incredibly rude, but why do you call yourself, where does Kimfa come from? Oh, yeah, that's a kind of a funny story. Uh, when I used to be part of this organization for Project Line and Yesler, that's the agency that I used to work for um, that was acquired by Accenture last year, um, there were four Kims when I first started. So everyone <laughs> was pretty good about uh, writing their last initial on their uh, emails after their name. Minus Flannery Rye, that's hyphen, so I would write Kim, F-R. Sometimes I forget to put a space between my name Kim and F-R, and then people just start reading it as Kimfer, and then they start writing it as Kim, F-E-R, as in Kimfer. And then it just became a thing, even when they didn't have any Kims for a while, because I was at that organization for about nine years. And um, interesting enough, even if they called me Kim, to me, when we talked to each other, they would introduce me as Kimfer 
to clients, to other professionals. So it just became like a weird <laughs> professional name, Kimfer. Well, how great. You're memorable. It's easy to find you. You're the only Kimfer I know. And that's K-I-M-F-E-R, by the way. So you can, for everybody listening, you can do your due diligence. I, I won't use the word stalking and find Kimfer. So it, one of the things, it's one of the many things about you that makes you unique, not to mention my Kimisms, which we'll get on to. But a quick question, I just certainly, about, you, I see adjunct professor, and I'm just curious, is that still, is that still going on, what with COVID? Because we're in, we're still in 2021 and life still is, life still is. Oh, no. Oh, we may have to start this again or... um. Um, um, that wonderful word, or uh, we could always splice this, I guess. I mean, that, that's the joy of splicing. Kimfa, I'm going to give you another few seconds, and if not, I'm going to send you a, another link. Did we just get cut up again <laughs> at the same spot? <laughs> Is that what just happened? Yeah, I'm wondering whether uh, we should uh, start again. Anyway, um, let, let's, let's just keep on going because there's a wonderful thing called splicing. I've asked you three, I've asked you twice. So obviously <laughs> the universe doesn't want me to know the answer. <laughs> you know? To the adjunct professor question. Yeah, I am still an adjunct professor uh, for Seattle University. I teach uh, creativity and innovation for um, two different master students groups. One's called the Bridge MBA. And then the other, that one is a, uh, it's a required class for part of their graduating um, requirements. And then one that's in uh, for just any individuals, mostly from the MBA uh, courses, but anyone who's in master's program can take this class as well. So I have people um, showing up from master's of engineering or education or various other places taking these classes. Creative and innovative. Yes, my favorite subjects. And you are yourself a creative. What, what, what brings you to use that word in your LinkedIn profile? Uh, I think it's because of the fact that, you know, since I was little, I was an artist and still am an artist, even if I'm not a practicing one. And what's interesting about being an artist, um, people believe artistry is either something that you're innately born with, which is not necessarily true, but creativity comes in all forms. You don't have to be an artist to be a creative. And for me, I think even though I don't practice my artistry, um, I still practice creativity in, in everything I do. Not to mention the fact that to quote you, you appreciate anything that has a wicked sense of style. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Which is me. Obviously, it's me. Yes. So I'm, I'm, you're appreciating the heck out of me, which is fantastic. Uh, you are also a speaker. What are some of the things that you love to speak about? Uh, actually, most of my speaking engagements now are specifically around diversity, equity, and inclusion, since that is the area that I'm in. But even before when I was with the agency that I talked about, uh, that was a business-to-business um, -business digital marketing agency, and I was the executive creative director and vice president there. And so there was a lot of conversations around um, how to build creative teams, how to create diverse creative teams, um, what do you mean to have um, uh, built teams within that creative space? So uh, ultimately, I think even back then, I was already speaking about inclusion and diversity in a way that was um, 
more associated to marketing, but now is really more directed at, uh, I would say, culture and systemic way of looking at diversity, equity, and inclusion to change um, what's going on with now creativity as a way to enact that. So it's kind of flip-flopped a little bit for me. I love flip-flops. I notice on your site you talk about idea, which is such a brilliant way of putting it. Inclusion, diversity, plus equity, plus accessibility. Yes. Yeah, I think the thing about um, diversity, equity, and inclusion, DEI, uh, there's so much to it too, right? There's people talk about um, in that space. I mean, no one really talks about it as D and I anymore, the diversity and inclusion. There's always an equity in there. Sometimes there's belonging in there. Um, sometimes there's justice, so they call it Jedi. Uh, ultimately, <laughs> for me, yeah, right? And uh, for me is that accessibility is such a huge part of that inclusive way of um, practicing. And I think that's just, for me, part of my digital marketing background and making sure accessibility when it comes to not only digital platforms for people who are uh, are um, needing that access. And since I focus on brand as well, brand slash culture, that is just a really innate part of how you need to represent yourself that you have accessibility. Um, well, accessibility period as part of your DEI strategy. Absolutely. To find comfort. Now, it's my chemisms, and I'll, there's a story behind that, but that's M-Y-K-I-M-I-S-M-S. There's two reasons why you've got chemisms. One is to do with your inability to create, you, you had trouble with colloquial expressions, and there's a reason behind that. And the other one, of course, is that you're very aware of all the isms in society. But where did the chemisms come from? Uh, it's really my friends that dubbed it <laughs> initially. Uh, it really had to do with the first part. Uh, English is actually my second language. I was adopted when I was 10 from South Korea. Um, although my first language has been pretty much <laughs> obliterated, I think that's the word, because of the um, uh, little bit of a volcanism. I'll use my nerdy language that happens where... Um, you know, I've been uh, completely assimilated. I guess that's, actually that's not a Vulcan. I'm totally making a um, boo-boo on my nerdism here. Uh, but anyway, so uh, so really, I think I use it as, I would get these phrases that were super, super close, right? I used to own a business called Bouncing Wall. And that was because I was trying to explain to someone who was my uh, really sounding board. But I was thinking, like, you bounce off ideas, you bounce things off of a wall. So bouncing wall would have been a good example of a chemism. Love it. And I love that you brought up Jedi and Vulcanism because, of course, you're a social enterprise, your company, which which always, when I hear the word enterprise, makes me think of Star Trek and Captain Kirk. Yeah. So, so obviously, there's some bonding we can do on a completely different level that I had no idea. Yeah. Uh, what is a social enterprise? Uh, social enterprise, there's a couple of ways to look at social enterprises. One, you can actually um, define it in your corporate standing. There's S-corps and, you know, versus like a C-corp or whatnot. 
Um, however, I practice it, even though I'm not signed up as an S-Corp, I am myself. So it doesn't make sense to create a corporate identity per se. So really what that means is that you have a commitment um, to social uh, impact or social justice in where your business is, is not completely, um, I would say, purely, uh, it's, you're not a nonprofit, but you're not a for-profit either completely. So you're somewhere in between where you're really focused on how you can then impact financially or otherwise um, other social impact and social uh, justice focused areas. And you use the Pareto principle, the old 80-20 model, because I think you donate 20% of your revenue via philanthropy and pro bono services. I do. I do. Yeah. So I donate uh, monetarily twice a year. And I've just chosen those two times a year just because we are in Washington State. And Washington State does a huge um, uh, Give Big campaign, which happens actually right now in the May timeframe. I'm not sure when this will be airing. But and then also in November, which is the um, uh, it's the, it, the national uh, Give Tuesday, um, Giving Tuesday. I think I'm saying that wrong now. But either way, I, those are the two times a year where I do more of my financial donations. And the first time in the year, usually I donate to the organization that I'm passionate about. And, and then um, in the second half of the year, I recommend certain organizations, but I actually will give on behalf of my clients. So for example, last year, one of my clients um, is a big supporter of Mary's Place. So I donated to there. Um, and there's various other organizations I try to do more locally, but there were some national um, ones that I donate to as well, if that is what my clients are um, doing. And I like to point out, you can't say anything wrong. It just becomes a chemism. Yes. <laughs> yes. Right. Yeah. 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 So so there is no wrong there because you've got clients that are enterprise companies like eBay, but you've also got nonprofit organizations as clients as well. I do. I do. Yeah. And I do um, a sliding scale for my nonprofit organizations because obviously they are they cannot always hire um, people in that enterprise uh, monetary bucket. Uh, but I think it's just as important for us to give. So again, sometimes I will do um, work with nonprofits at a discounted rate, and then that could then look at it as part of the cost to go towards my pro bono side. Um, and then there's certain organizations like Health Commons Project that I've uh, been working with in a pro bono um, capacity for, for the last several years. Yeah. And, and completely off topic, why do you have a whole lot of plastic animals on your website page? What was that? Can you repeat that? Again? Why do you have a whole lot of tiny plastic animals on your oh. website page? They remind me of the ones you used to get in cereal boxes. It does, doesn't it? I think for me it was because of showing um, this idea of, you know, the differences that can show up in any color, in any shape or any form. And I just thought that is a really good way of illustrating that without having to show people in people's color and um, that we can all be significant in however and look just as, um, as uh, together 
and but different and um yeah and I thought they're it, all fine I, yeah I thought it actually might have something to do with that but I wanted to make you explain it anyway <laughs> I, I think I will be the red lion um I actually and and I can I definitely have a friend that would be the blue horse um Ooh. And I also wondered if it was actually in homage to the multiple colors you tend to dye your hair. Uh, you know, it could be, but if it if it is, it's definitely uh, um, sub, uh, unconscious. Subconscious, <laughs> unconscious. Yeah. <laughs> there, there I go with my chemisms. <laughs> I love chemisms. Uh, you volunteer. Have we already? Is, is that kind of already? Have we covered that, or is there any other ways that you volunteer that? that we haven't spoken to? Uh, no, volunteerism has been pretty important um, for me and my family as well. And so uh, even our son, who's 13 years old, has been out, What even when he was like, I think, four, it depends on the age, you know, when they're allowed, been out um, with different organizations just to volunteer. I think it's just such an important aspect of giving back. And also um, what, it means to have privilege and uh, and that when you have it, you need to share it in whatever way. And that's partly because of, you know, someone like me who comes from poverty and who's experienced food insecurity as well as housing insecurity, um, actually twice in my lifetime. <laughs> um, it's for me, it is um, making sure that there's humanity in giving back as well as seeing individuals in whatever form that they're in in their current situation that they also have humanity as well housing and security mm -hmm. that hits me really hard um I, I, that's that's not the right way to put it um it just really resonates with me mm -hmm. uh, as in um but for the grace of you know that that could be me mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, so the two times that you experienced it uh Refuse and never offends. Obviously, you'll answer whatever you want to answer. Was that when you were in Korea and then again in America? Yes. Yeah. Um, so Korea, I was uh, I was in an orphanage by the time before I was adopted at the age of 10. Um, and then when I came to the U.S., uh, wish that everything was, you know, shiny and awesome and wonderful. But uh, we went through the 80s farm crisis and our family lost pretty much everything. You, I I'm pausing because I'm just blown away by what you just said. Uh, to be homeless twice. Yeah, I would say, you know, the second time our home, at least our house, our home was secure. What was happening in our home was not secure, if that makes sense. Um, but pretty much uh, everything around our home was really no longer ours. What happened? Where, where did you move to? Do you, do you mind? Can you tell me more? Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, it's in a, again, it's a small farm community. So our, our house on the farm. So if we think about hundreds of acres that our family owned, hundreds and hundreds of acres, um, our home was on a, uh, on that farm about, I think, three acre lot, because that's pretty standard when it comes to a farm community. Um, so pretty much everything was taken over um, or lost. Um, some of it are, family um, 
uncle was able to purchase some of the land, um, but the house really itself was the only thing that was kind of left to us. Uh, and then when I say inside the house is when um, there were, uh, when um, ultimately what it comes down to is my father ended up leaving. My mother had to go back to work at age 50 um, to support us again. Uh, so then the, we were pretty young. I mean, we were teenagers, I guess. So maybe not that young, um, you know, taking care of herself. So. So you had siblings in America. Mm-hmm. Uh, did you have siblings in Korea? Uh, I believe I have a, at least one half sibling uh, somewhere. Uh, unsure if I have more. Um, and then I have four siblings here in the U.S. We're all adopted. Uh, different nationalities, all from Korea. Uh, how did your family come to come to be together? Yeah, my mother, who um, has passed, but she loved loved um, just people and taking care of children. She was a nurse by trade. Um, by the time she was older, she was the grandma who um, read, you know, children's stories at the library, you know, as Grandma Ruth. And so she had such heart for wanting a big family, but couldn't have them. So instead, she decided to adopt. So we have a blonde hair, a blue eyed brother who is uh, um, uh, white. I have a dark hair brown-eyed brother who's also white. Uh, my sister is Emirasian. She's half uh, Korean and half white, and I am fully Korean. And then my mother and father also um, uh, fostered three brothers that were way older than us. So I'm the youngest. And like I said, when I was talking about my mother, she was like two, almost like two generations older than me. Like why, when I was growing up, my friend's grandparents were my parents' age. Coming, coming to America at the age of 10, to go from such a different culture, this, this is the subject, this is the subject of a book, this is the subject of a much longer podcast. Than this. <laughs> yeah. I knew I admired you, but uh, well, Oh, if, while I just take in all of that, because that's big stuff, would you save me by talking about American Pacific American, uh, excuse me, Asian Pacific American Heritage Month? Sure. Uh, well, it's, we are in May. It's the month where we celebrate the heritage of uh, the Asian Pacific Islander people. And um, I think, you know, it's really um, relevant right now, especially with all the Asian hate crimes that have been going on and to have this month be highlighted. And hopefully people will also share the Asian joy, just like we talk about, um, you know, it's not enough to talk about the, uh, the Black trauma all the time, but also Black joy. So when it comes to the uh, Black Indigenous people of color, the BIPOC community, I think it's... Um, a really important time to celebrate and learn something new about uh, about cultures or people that people might not be as familiar about. 
Absolutely. Uh, I have a Mongolian friend who actually a couple of months ago said um, he, he he actually he said uh, black lives matter. He absolutely related to that. English isn't his first language, but he kind of looked at me and he said, I would like there to be a, more of a focus on what I experience as well as an Asian in America. Mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. the shootings happened and they were horrific. And do you think they were the uh, impetus to create this month? How long has this month been going on? Uh, well, you know, the interesting thing about um, this month, um, you can get a lot of information, I would recommend, um, to going to Asian Pacific heritage.gov mm-hmm. yeah it's a great um, site that gives you really amazing amounts of information and history but ultimately what it comes down to right and this is the biggest thing is it's not about um about who had it worse because you know talking it's not about a, it's not a competition it's not a competition yeah and but we do know that our um, Black community have had their histories basically, um, or their culture completely eradicated in a way that they can't even do a lineage backwards. Um, There's certain things in that area. I think with uh, with Asian and Pacific Islanders, um, first of all, that in itself is really incredibly huge group of number of people, right? <laughs> We're like simplifying something very, very large. Um, and the idea about it within this, um, area is, for example, this is what uh, history is so important, um, is that I grew up in the Midwest and I never, ever knew about the, um, Japanese, uh, encampments here in the West coast, right? None of my history books ever talked about that. I didn't even know until I moved to Seattle in in the 90s, late 90s. And so you can t- you know you can see how history can just get buried. And um, and then on top of that, we are when I say we, I mean the um, Asian American Pacific Islanders, the AAPI uh, community, we're seen as. Um, a what uh, it's a way to almost um uh, almost compare and contrast not in a good way right when you're doing comparing and contrasting but we are uh considered the model minority because we aren't the ones that are typically we're seen as docile right docile docile Mm. um people who are like non-threatening we're slightly invisible a lot and we're considered um ultimately almost always uh will be seen as foreigners in this land so those are some of the you know various ways that asian americans um kind of deal with their own history and the way that they're viewed here in the u.s and it's super unfair for all the different um you know BIPOC community especially for the on behalf of the black community is that then you know 
they're asked to look at us and say, well, look at them. They're good. They're, they're a minor, minor, model minority while you're not, you know, that kind of thing. And so it's always a way of sort of doing that kind of things. First of all, can I apologize? I feel like such an idiot a lot of the times on these podcasts because this is the first conversation you and I have ever had and I'm finding out things about you that I had no idea and it's blowing my mind and I don't know how to respond. But first of all, I want to apologize because it's not up to you to educate me. Uh, I, I, I would love your opinion on why it's Asian Pacific American is, is lumped together because I grew up in New Zealand. Uh, my family, uh, my cousins are Pacific Islanders. My friends are Pacific Islanders. Um, and I, I see that as very distinct, but that's a whole nother conversation, of course. And mm -hmm. yes, my friend's family lost land, possessions uh, during the internment. Um, Bainbridge is doing a really good job. Well, I don't know if it's a really good job, but I know they're trying very hard to honor that, the experience that their community had, you know, the, the uh, the Japanese that were interned and uh, whatever that word is and lost, you know, at what they had to go through. Uh, so I hope that, uh, thank you for, it's such a, thank you for raising my awareness. I realize it's a cliche and I should turn it into a t-shirt, but, <laughs> but, but I feel every day it's like, wow, there's so much I need to learn. Yeah, I mean, there is so much. And even for me, I'm still learning about even my own um, history and heritage and how that is reflected in the United States um, as well. And, you know, uh, yes, I'm in the... Oh, please don't go again. Please don't go. Please not when this is so incredibly powerful. Uh, go to AsianPacificHeritage.gov, G-O-V, and... Please excuse me if I do sound like an idiot, but make sure you listen to my guests because they are all absolutely incredible women. You can find Kimfa at mykimisms.co. I'm just going to talk until she comes back. Sorry, mykimisms.com, M-Y-K-I-M-I-S-M-S.com. And guess what? I may even get a podcast editor and try and make these a little more easy for all my <laughs> listeners. Oh, and, and she's back i think i figured out what was going on and it's definitely a user error on my part every time my phone goes to sleep it no longer is uh you're getting me well i want you and i'm glad you're back <laughs> i'm really glad you're back um i was just reminding people how to find you Fantastic. and and just basically waffling on and thinking how much i need a podcast editor um I would like to go back to the fact that you can also, um, Kim Fur has an amazing blog. You talk about the difference between representation and exploitation as authenticity. And I hope if nothing else, even though this is not about me, believe <laughs> it or not, I hope at least I'm authentic in the fact that I want to, I want to learn. But difference between representation and exploitation is authenticity. Are you talking about situations like own voice? I've got a lot of friends in the writing community and and there's more of a call for people to write about their own experience rather than try and write about other people's and other nationalities. How do you interpret that? Yeah, that's part of it. I think, you know, uh, I would say exploitation would be, hey, I need Kimford to come write this thing because we need an Asian person to write something. And we right. need to, right? Mm. Right. It's not about like, oh, I think Kimfer has a 
beautiful story that we mm. want her to share. And I'm so glad that we will learn from her and and also bring this idea of diverse stories into the into the group, but rather saying like, you know what, it's, you know, Asian, Asian Pacific, you know, uh, month and, and, and we need an Asian person to write about it. Who do we know? You know, like that, that's, that's, that's exploitation, right? It's tokenism at its best. You know, I've never had somebody call me and say, we really need a New Zealander. <laughs> I picked you, I, I asked you to be on the podcast because I like the color of your hair. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Why wouldn't you? I would pick me with my color of hair. Oh, the, the purple that's heading down to blue. Hey, hey, what kind of puppy have you got that's snoring beside you or doing whatever it is? Uh, he's, a, he's a mutt. Uh, we rescued Aww. him from Texas uh, from uh, their rescue from the snowstorms that hit Texas. And Texas is a, um, wow. uh, they are a uh, kill state for um, for animals. So they a lot of them get brought into states that aren't. And so he is, we don't know, they don't know, I mean, they, we saw the mother, he looks nothing like the mother, and they don't even know what kind of breed she was let alone know what the father is so uh funny thing my husband got one of those uh basically like 23 and me you know for for yeah, dogs, yeah, yeah, yeah. For dogs. <laughs> so we have officially swapped him and we are sending his, his information in to see what he is oh you know i did that dna thing oh, um yeah, yeah, mainly because um, I wanted to I wanted to check something. Um, uh, my great great grandfather was Chinese. That's the family legend, and I wanted to prove it. Yes, yes, I am four percent Chinese. <laughs> oh wow, wow! They get super specific, huh? <laughs> they really do. The, the most of the rest of me is Irish. Just you know, I'm sure that's fascinating stuff. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but okay, I have to ask: Does your dog um, bark with an accent? Of course he does. Texan accent. Yeah, of, of course. It's got a nice drawl in his in his wolf. I told you I was going to jump around like a squirrel. Uh, <laughs> I love it. Which, which there are reasons for that, um, biochemical mainly. But um, do have you were you ever able to track down any of your Korean family? Uh, no. Did you Did you want to? Um, I did when I was a teenager at one point. Uh, I think you just kind of go through, you know the things when you're trying to I you know really understand your identity um and what that means to you. Um mm. I do have to say it hurt my mother quite deeply. Yeah. Uh, she was of an older generation. Actually like I said she was almost like two generations older than older than me. And um it was one of those she grew up where bygones be bygones and you know the past doesn't influence you kind of mentality and um I think part huh. of my gratefulness <laughs> at the time and I'm not saying all people were like that it's just her specifically that um and she I think you know felt really hurt that there's something that she wasn't doing so thus I'm looking for my you know I'm doing bunny quotes real parent you know real mother or whatever so um yeah I think that was the last time I really truly looked uh and then you know once you become uh, have more history in your life and uh, deeper understanding of the complexity of the world. Um, you just have a different mindset, at least for me. And so 
I know. I haven't. I haven't looked. I wanted to ask you about clothing, and I always forget. I keep forgetting to ask my guests about clothing in this whole conversation <laughs> yeah, about closets. Sort of uh, the purpose. But <laughs> squirrel, um, because I know you appreciate style. We've only met a couple of times on Zoom, uh, so I haven't really had a chance to to get a really good rummage through your wardrobe. But what's some of your favorite pieces? Oh yeah, well you know. Zoom clothing right now is also not a reflection of people's really style because I've been wearing more like yoga pants and sweatshirts and, you know, zip up hoodies more than I've ever done. Uh, not my typical go to. Um, I would say I'm, I am probably, uh, I think one of my friends actually explained, uh, I was meeting her up for dinner uh, in West Seattle in one of the restaurants that I had reopened and um, we thought we would you know we're um, getting vaccinated and we wanted to go support and uh, she said that she let someone know at the front because she was there first when they said oh who should we be looking out for and she said oh you'll know because she looks like a New Yorker and I don't know <laughs> <laughs> and I was like oh interesting oh well that's how she described me um and I looked down and I thought, oh, yeah, I am in all complete black uh, tends to be my thing. I think my, I let my hair and then I'll have accent pieces that might have colors. But I tend to most of the time go in blacks and grays. Uh, I love asymmetry. So a lot of um, sometimes some volume, asymmetry, love, good pair of shoes. Um, and I kind of wish that I was kind of back to dressing up a bit but I do love um pieces that are uh maybe not something that you can find you know in your everyday shelf and so I actually do a lot of clothes shopping through Etsy and have people who um that have very specific styles uh that now will do some customizations for me as well so yeah it's a great idea where do you live I don't need the address. We're on air. I'm just wondering what general area. Me? Where, oh, where yeah. do I live? You're in Seattle, right? Yeah, I'm in Seattle. Um, yeah, I'm in Seattle. <laughs> That's as far as she's going to tell me. You know why? You know, because I'm planning to come over and, and basically, and, and, you know, ruffle through basically oh, your closet. <laughs> so so I, I can see why you're hesitant. Yeah, it's all right. You don't need to get out of restraining order just yet. Um, Kimfa, thank you. I had no idea where this conversation was going to go. I never know where the conversations are going to go. And I do spend a lot of time like a stunned mullet just going, wow. And today was no exception. Um, I'm really looking forward to seeing you next Monday. And I'm really glad you're in my life. Thank you. Yeah, thank you, Erin, for asking. A... This has been fun. And I'm sorry about all those uh, moments of uh, me and my my uh, sound going out. <laughs> oh, but come on. That's half the fun. Authenticity. <laughs> For sure. Bye. Bye.